Hey, Foundation Church. How are we? We good? My name is Mark. Um, it's really, really great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. Um, and it's cool to be back sharing, exciting to see what God is doing among you. Um, as you know, you are in a series, or you should know you're in a series. Uh, maybe this is the point where you switch off and you're going, series? Is that what Dave's doing? So Dave is going through, or you are as a church, going through the first few chapters in Revelation. So if you have your Bible, I know it's printed on your information sheet, and that's fine if that's what you have, but if you've got a Bible, it might be helpful for you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. And we're looking at a series of churches, and tonight we come to church number 5, which is Sardis. And I kind of think that these, while they are letters, they're kind of like reports that go out about a church. And I don't know how reports sit with you. I think reports, I think um, school reports or work reports, but I think school reports. If I'm honest, school wasn't my most favorite time in the world. It wasn't the time where I shone very bright um, when I was at school. To me, school, I wasn't the most conscientious of students. Um, I, I viewed school as more of um, a social experience rather than a learning experience. A place to go and meet friends, not a place to go and learn with friends, a place to go and mess about. And there was two times in the years I dreaded the most. The first time was whenever your school report got sent home to your parents. And there was no way in the world that you could interrupt the postman and that report getting to your parents. That was one time I hated it. The second time I hated it was the parent-teacher evening times where your parents sat down um, without you being there, but you knew exactly what was going to be said about you. And they got a report. And reports expose the real you. And my reports came back with statements, and I'm going to protest that this is a little bit harsh, a little bit harsh, but my school reports came back with uh, phrases like this, because it exposed me as a bit of a delinquent when I was at school. Mark is disruptive in class, wrote one teacher. Mark applies the minimum amount of effort that's harsh. I think that's harsh for a, a young teenage boy to hear. Mark uses his desk as a drum, which I thought was being creative. I thought that was showing innovation. I thought it was a good thing. Mark makes silly noises. These were some of the things that came back in my school reports in the letter or my reports that my parents heard as they sat um, and having to eyeball a teacher. And of course, that's not the behavior that my parents expected of their darling son who was at school, they expected better of me. So I spent most of my teenage years probably being grounded. But reports expose the real you. They get behind the facade that you might put up. They go deep. They expose the problem. They expose the issues. They expose the true behavior. And here we have another letter or another report that's coming. This church called Sardis one of these seven churches, one of these real seven churches. I feel it's important to stress that these are real churches. They're not just made-up fictional churches. These are real-life stories. And as we break down some of the context of this church tonight, I just want that to sink in. This isn't made-up stuff just to beat us into submission at church. This is real-life churches and real-life reports that Jesus gave. And it matters what Jesus has to say doesn't matter what the church leadership have to say ultimately or what the congregation have to say ultimately. It matters what Jesus has to say. So if you've got Revelation chapter 3 open in front of you, let's read it together. This is God's Word. Write this letter to the angels or to the elders or to the leaders or to the pastors of the church in Sardis. 
This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold Spirit of God and the seven stars. As I said, this is Jesus writing a report, Jesus writing a letter. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpectedly as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. Anyone who, hears, who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray one more time before we unpack this together. God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank you that you communicate with your people. Thank you for this letter. And some of this might be hard to hear, but God, we just thank you that you are a God that speaks to us in hope. And God, we want to invite your Spirit. We want to welcome your Spirit, and we ask that you by your Spirit will be our teacher tonight. I ask for your help. I want to be faithful to your Word, faithful to unpack and interpret your Word rightly and correctly and faithfully. And God, I pray for my friends in front of me. God, I pray that whatever distractions that we have had today or in the week that has gone or in the week that might be coming, I pray, God, that we will be able to close those things out of our mind, close us in with you our God, and we ask, God, that we will have hearts that are open, ears that are open, and that we will hear from you, but we'll not just be hearers of your word, we'll also be doers as well. So I pray, God, that you will come in power and that you will help, and you will speak powerfully through your word tonight. We we'll ask these things in your name, and we ask them for your glory and your glory alone. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Just think about reports. We've just read the Sardis report. I don't know what you think of the Sardis report as you read it. Maybe you think it's harsh. Maybe you think it's fair. Maybe you don't really know much about what's going on at Sardis. But think about it as a report. Jesus has just sent a report to this church. Jesus sees what other people don't see or feel to see, what other people don't want to see, or what some people are blind to. Jesus sees right to the heart of the issue. So with our lives or with our churches, Jesus sees right to the core and right to the heart. And that's what really is that matters here. So Sardis, what is Sardis? Well, Sardis is a church that was situated way back Bible times in an area that we know today as Turkey. So it was a time back then where it was called Asia Minor today. It is modern day Turkey. And this city was a really wealthy city, and it was a prominent city, and it was an important city. 
It was a famous city. It had a commercial city where lots of people would travel to, to do business. Lots of people would come here. There's a lot of hustle and bustle in this big, important city. This is the place that everyone wanted to study at, everyone wanted to go to, everyone wanted to spend time at. People would like to have had a postcode at this particular area or this city called Sardis. It was at the top of a really steep hill. That was important because if it was at the top of a steep hill, it meant that it was hard for people to climb up that hill and to attack you. So it was a pretty secure city as well. It was famous for its security. It was believed to be a city that was impregnable. You've got this vantage point from up above, up above, so you can listen and you can hear and you can be ready for anyone who might come to attack. So it was famous for its security. It had the state-of-the-art tamper-proof trespasser-proof security that not too many people could get across. No one could get near the wealth of this city. No one could get near the health of this city. No one could get near the hedonistic lifestyle that this city was so famous for as well. This was a city that is confident in its own security. Same way you're confident, well, hopefully, that you locked your house and your house is safe or your car outside is safe. We have security or we have confidence in those securities. Same with this city, same with this place. Its king was famous. He was famous for his vast wealth. Even the church was famous. This was a church that had a reputation, a good reputation, a reputation. It says there in first one that it was a life. And there is no way you'd have come along to this church. There's no way that you would have left this church and thought, man, that was a bit boring. You might leave here tonight and say the preacher was a bit boring tonight. Well, you shouldn't. Shouldn't. It's bad. But you might. But you'd have gone along this church and no one would have left and said any bit of it was boring. This was the church to be. One of the largest, most popular of the mega churches in ancient times. It was thriving. It was busy. It was exciting. At this point, the report is pretty good. It's a confident report. It's secure, it's alive, it's religious. It all makes for good reading. And if you were part of the congregation at Sardis, you'd be feeling pretty confident and you'd be feeling quite proud of yourself at this minute. And why wouldn't you? You're Sardis. Of course Jesus is going to give you a massive, big, defined thumbs up. Of course he's going to give you a pat on the back. You're Sardis. You're the church at Sardis. You're the church where other churches ask your leaders to come and teach their leaders how to lead a church properly. You can be a specialist, but you can have little spirituality. And that seems to be the problem here with this church. Because isn't it true that pride always comes before a fall? And Sardis are going to get a bombshell of a report in the next few lines. Jesus is about to expose the real church. Not the outward, everything looks healthy, everything looks wealthy, everything looks sweet. He's going to expose the real church. And as we look at the real report, it comes at the end of verse 1. So it says in verse 1, I know all the things. That's all the works. That's all the deeds. That's all the ministries. That's all the offense that you run as a church. I know them. Jesus has seen them. He has heard that they are busy. I know all those things you do. And you have a reputation of being alive. But you are dead. 
Can you imagine the impact of that? Because this letter would have been read out at this church. Imagine the church is packed out. Imagine the overflow in this church is bursting at the seams. You might just have sat down after another awesome worship set. You might be sitting comfortably. You might be expecting good reading, but all of a sudden, Jesus' post-mortem of your church is that you are dead. All this energy, all this buzz, and you are dead. You can have confidence in a reputation, but be clueless about the reality. You can look busy and alive, but spiritually, you might be dead and buried. Jesus sees things very differently to how we want to see them. He sees right to the heart, and He's not impressed with all the busyness, and He's not impressed with the reputation. He says, this church, you're dead. Verse 2, you are asleep. You're basically in a spiritual coma. You're as good as dead. As I thought about that this week, I thought, how frightening that must be. How frightening it must be to have all these good works, all these good ministries, to have this great reputation of being alive, to have tons of ushers at the door welcoming you in, to have tons of seats, to have to bring in more seats, to have to be talking about, well, maybe we as Sardis should build a bigger church. Maybe that's what we need to do as the leaders kind of meet together. I imagine that their budget was through the roof. I imagine that their announcement sheet was like a little booklet with all the events that were happening, all the things that you could sign up to, all the things that you could join up to. There are numerous things going on. But imagine hearing that you were dead. Imagine hearing in verse 4 that everything you do is lacking. Nothing is complete. You might take all the boxes. Outwardly, everything looks healthy, but you are dead on the inside. You are lacking. Everything is lacking. Just imagine that. Actions are not the same, or acting is not the same as actions. You can act, but God doesn't want you to act. He doesn't want you to act to be busy or to set up church or do ministries that are glorifying to man. He wants actions, and those actions must be God-glorifying. You have this church in Sardis, and Sardis once built a church that was the largest church in the ancient world. It was bigger than two football fields. Massive, massive church that they had put up. The largest megachurch in ancient times. They didn't think they had any issues, but it's just a veneer. There's nothing deeper. It's just this outward veneer that they look good and they look healthy, but behind the scenes, deep down, they are dead. And what a tragic place to be. What a pathetic place to be. What a shallow place to be. Like, can you imagine all the effort, all the effort of paying bills to have that building, paying bills to heat that, to light that, to have the awesome sound system in, to have all the things. Imagine all the resources. Imagine all the people. Imagine all the things that you were doing. Imagine all the busyness. And for what? For what? Just for a reputation that is shallow, just for a reputation that ultimately means you are dead. It's just exhausting, and it's pointless, and it's worthless. I once read that church growth and decline goes through four different stages, 
Four different stages. Stage one is this man stage. It starts with a man or it starts with a core group. The man and the core group are on fire. They want to do church. They want to love each other. They want to love the church. They want to love the city. And there's passion. And there's vision. And there's goals and there's stuff they want to do. A stage one. People are inspired. Stage two is the movement stage. So you've got the church that's now planted. Things seem to be going well. Other people are catching the vision. People are joining the church. People are getting saved. You're starting new ministries. Ministries are growing. Everything seems great. There's good momentum. People are involved. God is definitely at work. Then we come to stage number three, and it's the machine stage, the machine stage. As things grow, so too do programs, so too do structures, and so too do organizations. And those are all necessary things, and they're helpful things, and we need those things. But church just becomes pragmatic. So instead of a relationship, it's all about results. Instead of ministry, it's just more about maintenance. Instead of spirituality, it's all about style. It might look very busy, but if you were to scrape at the surface, go a little bit deeper, you just find it's just one big machine. Just one big machine. Then finally, we come to the museum stage. Creativity and passion, it just gets neglected because we're busy. Don't have time to think about these things. We're thinking about other things. We're thinking about results, and we just forget. We lose our way. We forget why we first existed. We forget, we forget about that first love of meeting in that initial stage of loving God, loving the church, loving the city, making an impact. We just forget because we're busy, because we've been stuck in a machine for so long, and the machine swallows you up. And pastors and leaders and volunteers get swallowed up by the machine. They just get exhausted, so busy, and they just get swallowed, and they become exhausted. Christian seal dries up. The church becomes stale. Some desperately try to cling to the way things used to be. Others are in denial. There's any problems whatsoever. Church just becomes a museum with the occasional visitor. It happens. It happens. You drove past places tonight that used to be big, thriving churches that now are not big, thriving churches. Some of them are restaurants. Some of them are used for other things. Some of them get demolished. Start off with this stage, a man stage, and they just end up as monuments. And there's tons of monuments around the place. And here's the thing. No one started off intending to end up with that monument. No new church plant, and you're a new church plant, no new church plant wants to end up like that. And it's not even on your radar at the minute. I haven't ever been to a new church or a pastor that's planted a church that have a vision statement that goes something like this. We want to be a church who passionately promote apathy and compromise. We exist for the half-hearted, half-committed people who will make no impact in the city around us. We will strive to be a people who love reputation more than a relationship with God. We will dare to be a church who want to be filled with self rather than filled with the Spirit. No one is ever going to write a statement like that. That's not on anyone's radar when they start. Because we all want to be strong. We all want to be effective. We all want to be a thriving, deep, good church. But sometimes... 
we get distracted. Sometimes we get a little bit too busy. Sometimes apathy comes. Sometimes compromise comes. Sometimes we get distracted by living to please people. Sometimes we get distracted by, well, there's the other church down the way, and they're a lot more successful than we are, or they're bigger, or they're doing this, or they're doing whatever, and we just get distracted by comparison. We forget why we first came along. We forget to focus our energies and what is actually, truly important. It all seems very negative, this report so far, but this is Jesus writing, and Jesus comes with hope in this passage. He doesn't leave the church there. He comes with hope, and there's this alarm that starts ringing as Jesus says, waken up. I don't know how you are in the mornings. I'm not a great morning person, and I don't like my alarm. I'm a three, five, ten more snooze type person. Well, I used to be. I used to be until I had a daughter. And now I don't need an alarm. My daughter is my alarm. And that's it. So lying in, gone. Um, Alarms don't really need an alarm unless I need to get up before 7 a.m. After that, daughter has that sorted. She'll waken the both of us up. But we hate to be woken up abruptly. An alarm wakens us up abruptly. And we just have to immediately jump up Get with the program, get going. Needs action. It grabs your attention, though. And that's what Jesus does here. He wants to grab the attention of the church at Sardis. He wants to grab your attention, maybe here tonight as well. We tend not to need God whenever things are going so well. We tend to think that we don't need God to be involved whenever we have it pretty much covered by ourselves. We're driven by success. And success starves our need of a savior because success tricks us into thinking that we're just self-sufficient all by ourselves and that we make pretty good saviors by ourselves. So we don't need God for that. When a crisis comes, well then, yes, we need Jesus. But if things are good, then sometimes we feel we don't need Jesus. And this is exactly what's happening in this church in Sardis. Remember that steep hill we were talking about at the start? Steep hill where the enemy would have to try and sneak up They would have to get past the top security system that was at the top of that hill. Well, back in these ancient days, the security system that you had was a bunch of people called watchmen. So you would have a watchman or watchmen who were in positions at the top of this mountain, the walls of the city, and they would look out and they would listen for enemy coming. And if they seen anyone, all they had to do was ring the alarm. All the troops and all the army and Sardis would come to the age and they would just begin to attack. And you've got this great vantage point. If you're at the top, it's easy to attack people that are below you. Said at the beginning, this city was famous for its security, for its watchmen. All these dudes had to do was just stay awake. That's it. Your one job at nighttime was to stay awake. And it was famous for having the best security. Also famous for a couple of awkward moments. A couple of awkward moments where, well, one night, a security guard whose job is to stay awake actually fell asleep. And here you have this enemy, and all they do is they come up, they tippy-toe past the sleeping security guard, and they destroyed the city. That happened one time. You think they'd learn a lesson from that. They think they would regroup. They think they would provide stronger coffee or cans of Red Bull or something to keep you awake. They think they would blast out heavy rock music that would keep you awake all night. But no, it happened a second time. Mr. Watchman, on one particular night, met Mr. Sandman. And they fell asleep. 
Another enemy came in and turned over the city. Do you get what's happening? It's complacency. It's overconfidence in security. Complacency. That's the problem in the church, or that's the problem in the security of Sardis. It's also the problem in the church. They're just complacent. They're rolling through the motions. They're just turning up the church, and they're just rolling through the motions. And basically what Jesus is saying is learn a lesson. Spiritually, learn a lesson. Church at Sardis, learn a lesson. Don't be complacent. It's not too late to turn this around. There's an enemy that's waiting to attack you and me, and that enemy is known as Satan. And he knows all our weak spots. He knows when he should attack. He knows what moves to use. He knows what temptation to use. He knows when to start playing the lullaby music that will just make you drift over into a spiritual sleep so that you sin. We are to be on the alert. We are to be awake. You are to be awake. I am to be awake. We are to be ready, and we are to be prepared. We are to learn from past mistakes. So as a church, don't be distracted by reputation. As a Christian, don't be distracted by reputation. Don't be distracted by other people, what other people are doing, or what they're not doing, what other churches are doing, or what they're not doing. Because the temptation with that is that we will forget why we exist as a church because we're too focused on what they are doing and not on what Jesus, what God, what Holy Spirit wants for this church to do in this particular area that He has placed you in. So it doesn't matter what they're doing down there. It matters what you are doing here for God. Surely we don't need to give this message tonight to this church, Foundation Church. We're not even at this stage. You're at the exciting first stage. You're at that stage where you've got the core group, you've got the vision, you've got the plan. Things are exciting. Things are growing. Things are happening. You're doing stuff. And we're thankful to God for that. And we love Dave, and we love Marion, and we love you guys, and we love what you are doing. So surely you can just tick Sardis off as, nice message, but we don't need to apply. There is no application for a foundation church. There is no application for we as individuals. Because we're not like that. We're not there yet. But as I said, the scary thing about this passage and about this church is that they never started off as a dead church. They were once alive, and they were once thriving. They weren't always complacent. They did at one stage have all the core and all the foundational things and all the basic things in place. But compromise came. They got focused on other things. They just lost their way a little. And that's a frightening thing because it can happen to you and me and it can happen to your church or my church. It can happen to any of the churches around this place. There's hope in this passage, as we've said. Even though the vast majority of this church is dead, did you see what it said in verse 2? There are a small number of godly people. There's a few vital signs in this church. Jesus is saying, stay awake, and with the help and with the power of the Spirit, come alive. Get back to, or return to, or keep returning to the truth. 
Be grounded in the gospel. Be grounded in God's Word. Isn't that what 1st 3 is all about? Get back to the basics. Don't lose your way. You guys have got your basics in place. Stick to those basics. Don't deviate away from those basics. When some of those basics start to change, then start to ask questions. Repent. Turn away from sin. Turn away from apathy. Because let's take it away from the big generalization of church, because that could be the application tonight. Well, we're not like Sardis. We're Foundation Church. We're not like Sardis, so it doesn't really apply to me. But let's, let's apply it to ourselves, because don't we all struggle with temptations? We all struggle with sins? We all struggle with apathy? That's all something that we struggle with, and we spend all our time maybe judging someone else or comparing ourselves to someone else. We are to repent of our sins and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to keep the basic things, the basic things and the core things and the central things. And that is God's Word. That is what we are to constantly keep coming back to. Isn't it interesting that this work in Sardis is described as lacking or it's always unfinished? I think a really interesting contrast at this point is Jesus' work was never lacking. Jesus' work was complete. And we're thinking of the gospel as we think about that. Nothing is lacking. Jesus went to a cross and he said, it is finished. Jesus' work is what buys our salvation. Jesus' work is what makes you and I children of God, that gives us a relationship with him. Verses 4 and 5, there are some in this church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. You might be sitting here tonight, and no one knows your report. But you might, you might have a nasty report that no one else knows, or there might be things that you have done in your life that just seem nasty. You're not proud of, you don't want to share them, you don't want anyone else to know about those things. We all have them. I have them. I have a ton of things, and I'm not just talking school stuff, I'm talking spiritual stuff as well. Do you know across that nasty report that might be difficult for you to deal with, or might be a lot of guilt, or the rest. Do you know what's stamped over that report? It says gospel. It says it is finished. It says Jesus. On that cross, Jesus died for messy, dead, worthless, apathetic, compromising, complacent, rebellious people like you and me. And do you know what I love about this passage? Jesus says, here is Mark Brown. He is mine. He belongs to me because I have bought him with my life. Mark Brown was once dead in his sin, but I, Jesus, died to raise him to life spiritually. That's me. You could fill in that blank tonight as well. You could fill in that blank with your name tonight as well. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what Jesus thinks. More it means what Je matters what Jesus has done. And he went to a cross 
to die for rebels, to give us new life, to give us a relationship with Him, to adopt us into His family, and to complete that perfect work through His life, His death, and His resurrection. You're not perfect. Hate to break that to you. Maybe you think you are. I'm not perfect. We sin. We make mistakes. We feel. And maybe you're here tonight and you just feel like, I just feel completely flat. I feel like I flatlined, spiritually speaking. Jesus came to the church in Sardis. I believe Jesus, by Holy Spirit, can come to the church here in Belfast. I believe He can come to your life. I, can, I believe He can come to Foundation Church. And I believe that He can come with hope. And I believe that He does come with hope. And I believe that by His Holy Spirit, He breathes life into dead things, life into dead ministries, life into dead marriages, life into dead relationships, life into dead ministries, life into dead circumstances that you face. He comes with hope. He is here tonight. And maybe we just need to examine ourselves and take some time to examine ourselves and allow Holy Spirit to do that and expose some things some of them might be hard to deal with, but with God's help, with each other's help, we can deal with them together. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. And God, we want to pray that we would be a church that, are, that is alive. We ask for hearts and lives to come alive. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you will breathe life into the church, life into individuals, life into our bodies, life into our worship, life into our community, life into our city. God, we're not satisfied, or we shouldn't want to be satisfied with simply having a reputation. We want the reality of being alive in you. So God, will you expose the apathy and the pride and the complacency and the sin that so easily entangles us? Help us to set aside our savior complexes. Help us to repent. Help us to go back to basics. Help us to stand firm on the truth and the promises of your word. Help us to repent and run to you who is our fountain of life. God, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the hope that Jesus has bought for us. So God, we ask that we will be lost in wonder and awe at the cross and that we will worship you and worship you alone. Help us, God, to place our worth and our value and our identity in you, not in brands, not in labels, not in anything else, but who we are in you. So we ask that you'll come, Holy Spirit, and you will breathe life. Help us to be more like you. We ask these things for your name and for your glory and for your fame, and for your renown, and for your praise across this city and across this world. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.